is Dina Saunders-Green, and you're listening to Formally Fostered, brought to you by Green Pines Media. This is a podcast about foster care and children's mental health services, and sometimes the juvenile justice system, mainly because there's a lot of intersection between the three. We give emancipated youth and their allies a place to share their truth. Welcome to episode 5 of Formally Fostered. We're back after a very unexpected hiatus, which consisted of a client's book launch, the holidays, and a series of interviews on a laptop that is no longer with us, which is a reminder that the cloud is our friend. At least it is until it's not. A number of years ago, I interviewed a 24-year-old former foster youth who was just doing exceptionally well. This week, she'll be sharing a little bit about her history and some of the challenges she faced during and after foster care. She'll also be sharing her experience about transitional housing. And then in episode 6, we'll be getting an update and finding out how she's doing these days. By the way, episodes 5 and 6 should be the last of the poor quality interviews that were recorded way back when. So here we go. At the age of 21, she felt that it was time that she found out about her family history. So she talked with an uncle who filled in some of the gaps. He didn't hear from my mom for a while. And she had her own place. But when he went in the house, like, there was a bunch of different men in. And, like, he was kicking them out of the house. And, like, throughout the middle of the night, they were trying to come in and, like, do drugs. And so he kind of, like, told my mom, like, hey, like, your baby girl, like she's, she hasn't even said anything all night and she hasn't um, wet her diaper. I don't think that's normal. And so, like, of course, my mom being, like, incoherent and drugged up, her response obviously wasn't, like, the right response. So he decided to take me to the hospital where, like, they said that she was feeding me cereal at, like, three weeks old. My stomach couldn't tolerate that. So then... CPS got involved and gave us to my uncle, but because my uncle lived so close to my mom, it was like she was, she, it was like we were endangered in, I guess. So they actually put us into like actual foster care away from our family. We went to like our first foster home together and then we separated when I was about five years old. Unfortunately, it's really common for siblings to be separated once they go into the foster care system. She shares her feelings about being separated and how that impacted their relationship even to this day. I didn't know who they were for a long period of time. So if I think if I was raised with them, things could have been different relationship-wise. And maybe I'm just thinking about it like right now because of how our relationship is. I think that it could it's like 50-50. We were separated obviously when I was young, but they were older, you know. They were already like 12 years old and 11. Okay. It was 11 and 12 years old by the time I was away from them. I've had like good experiences with some good foster parents and I like picked up some skills, you know. Right. But them, they were already kind of older, so molded in a certain way. And I think that it was harder for them to adjust. So they kind of did their own thing, you know, and I don't think they really had the proper guidance. So when they left, the system, they decided to go down certain routes. And so when I emancipated and I met them, I like I would see them when I was like 15 and 16 here and there, like once in a blue moon for a holiday. Right. But we wouldn't even talk. Like we wouldn't even have a conversation until after I emancipated. And that's when we were like, okay, let's get to know each other. When we got to try to get to know each other, it was like 
awkward, you know, because I'm doing my own thing, but I try to do things kind of semi the right way, and they were kind of doing things the opposite way. So they thought that I was like trying to be better than them. I like try to talk to them or hang out with them. They think that I'm like trying to belittle them when I'm trying to give them advice or. And then, like, they, because they're older, they feel like for me to come in as a little sister doing things that they probably wanted or should or should or could be doing, they feel like, I don't know, if I'm being too prideful. I don't know. Mm. Not prideful, but, like, I i don't feel that way, but I feel like they feel like that about me. It puts, it like, a strain on our relationship. They would see me like, hey, but they felt like they, it, I couldn't relate to anything because they were like so advanced. Like they were already in the streets and doing things, you know, like living a totally different life. Okay. And when I, I felt like when they was coming around me, they were probably ashamed. Like they couldn't really like, like they weren't a, a positive influence. When I was like seven years old, I ended up going with like a quote unquote family members. I ended up staying with her for a long period of time and she knew obviously my mom when she was younger and she would tell me things like, oh, you're going to be just like your mom, strung out on drugs. And then she'll tell me things about my sisters, like she will have updates, you know, and just telling me like all this bad things and telling me like, you're going to be just like them if you don't do X, Y, and Z. And you know, like they're never going to be anything, like just really down talking them. And like, I remember when I was like, 14 they had she had told me like oh your older sisters are sleeping under the freeways and like all this stuff so when i did see them you know it was awkward and i right. looked down on them too but not because i like i wanted to look down on them it was just like what i was told about them me being on my own living with a so-called family member was really hard for me my opinion really didn't matter like social workers to me at that time they didn't even ask me like are you really feeling comfortable here or or maybe it just it they would but it wasn't really trying to see how I really was feeling because I think I was probably like 10 minutes scared to even say anything because anything that happened in the house stayed behind those walls and nobody could know you can't say anything so like if I had gotten more like I guess like, coming to my school, probably, like, you know, and talking to them. I know they do that, but I feel like they never did that with me. Maybe because I didn't feel like I was actually in danger. And, of course, I'm going to say, and I'm standing, I'm sitting right in front of my, you know, my family member. Or, like, she'll get up and go to another room. But, obviously, like... She could still she hear. She could hear everything we're talking <laughs> about. So, I know I'm not going to say nothing out of line. You right, know, Because right. I'm not going to get a whooping after they leave. So, she spends a number of her formative years feeling unheard being forced to keep secrets, and being told how horrible her sisters are. So I wasn't surprised when she talked about having to be removed from that home. She had mentioned that her sisters never got the help they needed, especially when they were getting ready to leave the foster care system. With that in mind, I wanted to find out her experience and any type of preparation that she received before leaving foster care. Here's what she had to say about the Independent Living Program, or ILP. I did a few classes. It was kind of cool because I got like a free laptop. We they went over some training, um, but I kind of didn't take that stuff too serious because it's kind of boring. Like the setups were really like classy like, and they didn't have like a lot of fun activities. So I would just go when I knew that it was gonna be like cool perks out of it. To me, I feel like because we are always in school. Like when you're in like that school is like you're probably like most kids go to. Like they're kind of excited to go to school because they want to obviously get away from their home, like their foster life. Right. But then it's like, dang, like we have to go to school all the time. So I felt like the school setup was kind of like a turnoff for me. Like okay. I felt like I was like 
and lecture. So if it was actually like a homey type of environment or like a homey feel to it, I would have definitely felt more inviting to go. I got like a lot of cool free things, you know, that end up helping me like gift cards, you know, for food, gift cards for books or like certificates for books, computers. They would like offer like training, like Microsoft training, but it was like boring, you know, like, like I said, like the way that they had it set up and like even like the kids, we didn't really communicate with each other. So I felt like we were literally in class, but I think that if they had us communicate more so like express ourselves, because we're all like, I feel like we don't really, ex well, I didn't personally express myself growing up about anything but if I was able to express myself to people that was going through the similar things who knows like what type of relationships I could have built you know and like we could have helped each other during certain situations you know like mm -hmm. we need to be entertained like even like you can't control someone's personality but they have like they need to be passionate you know and understand that they are actually like helping molding people for their future get involved speak to us see how we're doing, you know, like, ask us before we even start lecture or whatever, or whatever, you know, like, how are you guys doing, you know, what are you guys up to, what is currently going on, are you guys having current issues, and, like, say if someone's going through a current issue, maybe it could be addressed, and then they can have, like, an advocate help them out. So this is something that I hear from quite a few of the youth that I've talked with who have been through the ILP program. They want to do something creative, something that won't be boring, and something that's outside of a classroom setting. Participation in the ILP program typically happens at the age of 16. That led us to have discussions about her teenage years in general. So I asked her, if you could go back in time and give your teenage self advice, what would you tell her? Here's what she had to say. She needs to sit down, <laughs> chill out, and oh, she is a hot mess. I would have just told her the real, like, girl, you are a mess, and you got too much in front of you to lose, and you just, you're really just blinded by your friends. I let my friends really not control me, but influence me to do things that I shouldn't have done, and like, I'm lazy, you know, but if I was around people that was doing better than me, then the chances of me doing better would have been, I think, higher. So because I was hanging out with friends that didn't really know, like in high school, I was able to know what a checkbook looks like, how to write a checkbook, how to use a debit credit card, like how to like put money in the savings in a checking account, how to pay the utilities. And so I was doing things that people in my, my groups of friends didn't do. And so like I even put myself in like unsafe situations where I was carrying my checkbooks, but you would never think that your friend's mom is going to go through your purse and steal your checkbook. But right. because of the people that I was hanging around with, like wasn't obviously like the best crowd. I'm not necessarily just them, but you know, the people around them, I, I would have told myself to back away from some friends, you know, chill out and focus on what's more important and that's my future do you think you would have listened to oh no year old? 17 18 year olds didn't listen to nobody because 17 18 year olds thought she knew everything <laughs> when i turned 21 i met my biological father she goes on to talk about how uncomfortable it was meeting some of her family members especially when she found out that some of them had been following her on social media for years now, I've only met a few young adults who met their biological family members in their 20s, but most of them have the same questions. Where were you when I was younger, and why did I have to go into foster care with strangers? 
I asked her what advice she would give to family members, particularly parents whose kids had been placed in foster care. Here's what she had to say. During their, the time that their kids are in the system, and if they're like trying to currently get their kids out of the system, they have to understand that their kids are going through so many different changes, like mentally, you know, like probably even physically, but it's like more emotionally, they're like, they lost what they're used to. And so like trying to, I like just lying, you know, like don't, I feel like parents like that are trying to get their kids back and they know they're probably not going to, I feel like they try to leave their kids on. And so it gives them like while they're inside of the, of the foster home, they're like resentfulness towards the foster parent or like, I feel like they just make things a little bit harder sometimes. But if they do have every intention to get their kids back and just like keep going and do things the right way, just because they get them back doesn't mean they can't get them taken again, away again. After that, she talked a little bit about what it was like for her after she emancipated and left the foster care system. Specifically, how she struggled with anxiety and how that caused her to make some choices that likely weren't in her best interest. She moved out of her foster parents' home and then moved in with a friend and her friend's family. Because I wasn't obviously prepared to just leave. And then I stayed around house probably for like a month. Being at my friend's house wasn't like the best for me either, you know, like living with somebody is totally different than your relationship outside of, you know, the house. Her mom had to write me a letter like saying, you know, I'm basically couch surfing at their house. And then I got into the program. And then at the, I did that program for about a year, like 14 months, I think. The program she's talking about is an 18-month transitional housing program for young people between the ages of 18 and 21. To protect her privacy, we won't be mentioning the name of the program, but if you're interested in transitional housing, you can contact your local social services agency or just Google transitional housing programs in your city. Uh, I ended up going to school, so for like the first two months I didn't do anything, and then I got into like the spring semester and I did like, I took a phlebotomy course and a CNA course, and then I ended up getting my certificate for CNA that June, and then I started working as a CNA, so I was able to work for like a few months, so I think it was probably like a little less than a year actually, like nine months I was at this house, because um, I got accepted into the THB plus program. So I wanted to recap with her for just a moment. She moved out of her foster parents' home, moved in with a friend and their family, and then went through the entire process of applying and then getting accepted into an 18-month transitional housing program, only to leave it early? Of course I had to ask her why. I think it was just like the people that was running it. I didn't like the staff, like the, my roommates, the situations that we were in. I didn't like... I didn't like a lot of things. The rules obviously were very, like, kind of intense. I mean, now looking back, I probably would have, I should have just sucked it up. So she goes on to tell me that in hindsight, she could have actually stuck it out, especially knowing that that would have meant nine additional months of subsidized housing. Unfortunately, that's not something she thought about at the time. But I was really proud of her for having a plan. She knew that she'd struggle with the rules of this particular transitional housing program, so she applied to another one. That's not always the case for youth who've left the foster care system. In October of 2017, the Chronicle of Social Change published an article by Holden Slattery. The title was, One Third of California Foster Youth Leave Transitional Housing Involuntarily, Report Fines. 
So they basically reviewed a John Burton Advocates for Youth report where they looked at two different transitional housing programs in the state of California. Now these were programs that were specifically for youth who'd been in foster care. One of them is the THP Plus program, which is a 24-month program for former foster youth between the ages of 18 and 24. The other program was THP Plus FC, or THP Plus Foster Care. It's also referred to as AB12 which is the bill that allows foster youth to stay in foster care up till their 21st birthday as long as they're working or going to school or in some type of program that helps them do either of those things. So according to the article, they found that in both programs, youth are staying for just a little more than a year despite being allowed to remain for two or three years if they're working or going to school. In each of the programs, at least one third of the youth were involuntarily discharged. That means that out of say 100 youth in a transitional housing program, 33 or so will get kicked out, usually because of non-compliance, which means they're not following the rules. And that's pretty consistent with what I saw when I worked in the THP Plus program. And when I compared notes with other THP Plus providers, we just saw common themes. For example, youth would get kicked out for throwing parties, for having drugs or alcohol in the apartment, for moving their family members into their apartment, or for just refusing to work or go to school. Now on the surface, it seems to make sense. You follow the rules or you get kicked out. But as a social worker, I can tell you it's not always that simple. For example, kids who've been in the system are dealing with trauma and we're not very good at giving them the tools they need to heal. So why are we surprised when there are behavioral issues? The article goes on to say that in a number of these cases, the youth who are being kicked out are actually working or going to school. So the question is, what are we trying to teach them? Is our goal to make sure they follow every single rule to the T? Or is it to teach them life skills that we neglected to give them when they were actually in the system? There are no easy answers. Sometimes there's very limited space and very long wait lists. And realistically speaking, some youth just aren't ready for a transitional housing program with that much freedom. Sometimes the only way to determine that is their ability or willingness to follow those rules. So let's get back to the interview. I asked her how she felt once she found out she had gotten accepted into the THP Plus program. Here's what she had to say. Oh my gosh, I was so excited. It was like the best news. I was going through the little petty stuff I was going through there, like my roommates and it was like cultural differences. Like they didn't really put you with compatible roommates. And THP Plus was like the opposite. Like they actually put you with people who they thought you would be compatible with. And like all my roommates, I ended up, I ended up having um, three roommates over the course of two years. So three roommates over the course of two years, and she thought that was awesome. So of course I had to ask, how many roommates did you have in the other transitional housing program? <laughs> like four in like eight months, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because you know me. I'm like, oh, if I don't like that, then I'm like complaining or vice versa. So I would just drive them crazy until they wanted to get out of the, my apartment. Or so she talked about some of the cultural differences that she had with some of her roommates and then spent some time venting about unflushed toilets. After that, I asked her thoughts about the THP Plus program. You get in an apartment, THP would buy like brand new furniture and put you in like really nice apartments. Like the apartments we were in were like 
really nice. The good thing was if you completed the program with no problems and you did what you had to do, they gave you everything that they had they had furnished the apartment with, you were able to walk away with. So um, if you needed a bed, they supplied you with a bed, um, dressers, couches, tables, um, everything, like some appliances, like we, we had like dishes. So I walked away with like new stuff, couch, tables, chairs, not necessary appliances. Like, well, yeah, my microwave, I don't think they bought that for me, but and you're like assisted with your rent. So they just basically, the first three months, your rent is zero dollars. It's completely free, but they give you stipends and you get checks. And like every month you'll get like a few hundred dollars that will go towards your groceries, your utilities, you know, toiletries and so forth and so on. And depending on how you basically budget, you can pretty much manage, you know, for nothing. And then they will also like if you had a vehicle, they'll give you they'll provide your transportation. So they'll give you gas cards or like a bus pass. And then with food, they'll give you if you didn't get assistance from the public, like public assistance, they'll give you like grocery card, grocery cards. That was like more than enough. Like we were getting like a 100 bucks every two weeks or something like that like it was pretty awesome we i had like a basically like a mentor or coach uh and every two weeks you would or every week you would schedule to see them or check up and they would like check in with you and see how you're doing and where you're at and what are your goals and so you had like your short-term goals your medium goals and your long-term goals and they pretty much made sure or like helped you complete those goals so i like that because i'm so unorganized and like when i would go see my mentor she would like really help me like hey maybe you should do x y and z and stuff like that and when i needed advice i was able to just give her a call and she'll be able to like help me and then they also like offered classes i didn't necessarily take advantage of the classes that they were offering like a job training and skills classes because i was always busy working so I worked a lot and tried to save up a lot of money because I had like this goal, you know, I really wanted to save up and get like a down payment on a house. I mean, it would have been amazing if I probably would have actually listened and pay attention to things and I wasn't ready. So I'm not sure if you caught that or not, but this particular young adult had set an amazing goal. She was saving her THP plus emancipation fund for a down payment on a house. Is that even possible? Well, apparently it is. Members of her support system noticed that she was doing exceptionally well in the program. She had a job that was paying a living wage, she had a car, she was paying her bills on time, and she had an adventurous spirit. So when they started purchasing property out of state, they offered to help her buy a home of her own. Now, this was a number of years ago, but I was curious as to whether or not reasonably priced homes still existed. And sure enough, when I did a little Google search, there were a number of homes in college towns that were $50,000 and under. Luckily, she realized that she wasn't quite ready to be a homeowner. And I think because they thought I was like doing so well, they didn't really like bother me in a sense. Like they weren't really on top of me. So when I ended up leaving, I literally didn't know what to do. I walked away with a few thousand dollars saved like I had like seven thousand and I had a car before I got into the program I think my car had broke down and then I ended up buying another car and I should have just listened because somebody in my ear was telling me just worry about public transportation but um I got another car so that took like a few ch uh, like a chunk and then I walked away with some like a decent amount but 
I was too scared to go get an apartment on my own. Like I was looking in places around in a similar area that was obviously like, too expensive for me. So that intimidated me and I was like, I just gave up like, oh, I would never be able to afford nothing like this. And I just, I'm like, I'm not gonna be able to maintain it. And because I had stopped working right before I left THP. So like six months before I had, or five months before I left, I didn't have a job. I don't know what it was. I had no reason to quit that job. It was kind of crazy, but I could have tolerated it. Unfortunately, this is something else that's pretty common in transitional housing programs. Some participants become so anxious or depressed at the thought of leaving that they actually sabotage their own efforts. No matter how self-sufficient our youth appear to be, we have to provide services to the very end of our programs. As a matter of fact, some youth need more help in the end than they did at the beginning. In an ideal world, we'd even follow up with consistent long-term aftercare services. After successfully completing the THP Plus program, she found herself moving back in with that same friend and her friend's family. Being at my friends wasn't fun because it's not fun living with other people, you know, like as much as you love somebody and you care about them and they're your best friend or good friend, it's not the same with like having your own place. So I moved to my friend's house for mm, a few months, like maybe like eight months. And like during that time, I think I had got like really depressed and because I was just so unhappy. I would work like a semester. I remember I worked like one semester and then I went to school for the other semester. And then I ended up like meeting somebody after that and it was kind of like a rescue situation. Like um, I met a man, a guy, and I ended up moving in with him. That's sad. So we spent some time talking about her thoughts and her feelings, not just about her choices in the program, but just life in general. She talked about being in foster care since she was an infant. She talked about being in 14 different placements, which included foster homes and group homes. She also talked about how it felt when families made it obvious that they wanted her out of their lives. Despite the instability, and despite being separated from her biological family, she could now see some of the benefits of being in the foster care system. Knowing that no matter how much I acted up or where I, what I did or where I was going, I always had like a place to actually stay. You know, like I knew I was going to eat. I knew that I was going to have a bed. Even though I, I didn't, I never necessarily was homeless, like physically, but just experiencing semi, like, you know, I don't know. Like, I knew they were gonna, like, take care of me, in a sense. Thank you for listening to Formerly Fostered. You can subscribe to us by going to Apple Podcasts or follow us on SoundCloud. Feel free to leave a comment or email us at info at greenpinesmedia.com. So, until next time, have a good one.